Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. My name is H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And hey, everyone, I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, today we are so honored to have Dr. Ivaris Martinez, who is the Archstone Foundation Endowed Chair in Gerontology and the director of the Center for Successful Aging at Cal State Long Beach. And today we're going to talk about a, uh, a, a topic that's, that is very interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about the aging process and we're going to talk about healthy aging as opposed to uh, unhealthy aging. So, uh, Dr. Martinez, before we start, why don't you go ahead and tell us just a little bit about your background and your career? Okay, so um, my PhDs are actually in anthropology and public health, um, but aging has always been my passion. And it's actually how I ended up on the public health side, because we often look at the aging process through a- through health, although, of course, it encompasses so much um, of the social aspects of our daily lives. Um, so... Um, I have worked at the uh, Pan American Health Organization in their Healthy Aging Unit. So I got to uh, work on aging issues throughout Latin America and try to give technical support, technical support to the countries as Latin America is itself aging. Um, and then I, um, my first faculty position was at uh, the Johns Hopkins Center on Aging and Health. Um, I've always focused on community aspects of aging. Uh, so there I was brought on to be like a community liaison with um, a project we had um, called Experience Core, where we're trying to keep older adults active and healthy um, by volunteering in uh, inner city schools. It was a way to sort of both bring resources and the wisdom and life experience of older adults to support uh, children in schools. Um I helped establish, then I went to Florida International University, and I helped establish uh, the Leon Center for Geriatric Research um, at the Wertheim College of Medicine. And four years ago, I came to Cal State Long Beach to direct the Center uh, for Successful Aging, um, where uh, we're trying to bring the university resources uh, from the College of Health and Human Services to address aging issues in Long Beach and um, the broader LA area. Well, Dr. Martinez, you know, thanks again so much for for coming on the program. Um, we've we've heard a lot over the last several years about how our population is aging and how health systems may not be prepared to handle um, an aging population that may have more health problems. Um, and you know, people have thrown out terms like the the gray tsunami um, that may be coming. But what can you tell us about just kind of the basic population health data about where we are currently and where we're, we're looking to go as far as the aging of our population. So globally, we know that um, older adults are surpassing the number of children. Um, that's also, that, that's the case around, around the globe. And so in our preparation and in our health systems, um, we, often focus on uh, taking care of children, which of course is important. Um, However, there's almost no emphasis on preparing our healthcare professionals 
in taking care of older adults, which in the end is the population they tend to um, end up working with the most because they're the ones who tend to get sicker. We all get um, it, being sick is not a uh, necessary part of aging, but it's more likely, right? So a lot of, especially because of so many of our social and lifelong factors. Um, so um, we know that the population is aging, but uh, we are not prepared to take care of that population. Dr. Martinez, you talk about, uh, we talk about aging, you know, of course, aging is something that affects everybody. You know, the old saying, the only thing that's for certain in life is uh, death and taxes. And so from the, from the minute we're born, we are, we are getting older and, and getting, getting closer to the grave. And, and, you know, obviously we want to take care of ourselves physically as we age, but, but I want to talk about the, the emotional and and you know how we're doing as a society as as regard to aging especially here in america it seems like that that we're obsessed with not aging and everything that you see on the tv and on the internet is our products or or ways to keep you from aging and it seems like that currently we just don't have a real I don't want to say unhealthy view of aging, but maybe maybe not the correct way. And and I guess is what I'm saying is how do we how do we learn how to age more gracefully and and embrace it and accept it? I I love that term aging gracefully, and I think it's um, but it should be everyone's goal to age uh, gracefully and also to have oh, it can get a little bit later about like to plan for your aging because. Um, as my <laughs> grandfather would say, well, what's the other option, <laughs> right? Um, so um, there is, I mean, we live, uh, frankly, in a very ageist society where we celebrate youth and we tend not to see any benefits in aging, even though there's so many. And one of the interesting things is that when you look at studies of happiness, um, people are actually happier as they get older. <laughs> So happiness and life satisfaction tends to increase as we get older. We're usually, I think, at our lowest in terms of happiness in our 30s and 40s. Um, and then after your 50s, your happiness goes up. <laughs> um, but we don't realize that, right? And um, in our daily lives, especially when we're younger. <laughs> um, but if you talk to older people, they tend to be pretty happy. Um uh, the other thing is that how we view aging has been shown um, to affect how we actually age. Uh, so Becca Levy over at Yale has done several studies on the impact of ageist views on our health. So the more we resist the process of aging and the, um, the more scared or obsessed we are with not aging, it's uh, worse for our health overall. So um, Becca Levy has very interesting studies on that uh, that she's published. Um, so we need to start uh, recognizing ageist views, ageist language in ourselves and in others and correct it. Um, there's actually a World Health Organization campaign against ageism um, that, be, I mean, so ageism technically defined 
it can happen at any age. You can discriminate against someone when they're younger because you think they, you know, they're too young for something. But um, but what we're talking about here is how we view older adults and what they're capable of. And um, I work a lot of this with my students. I try to give them experience in working with older adults. And um, I actually am in the process of writing up a little study I did where we looked at, uh, I, I sort of to reflect on what were your perspectives before working with this older adult population. Um, we had several projects in a um, public housing that was for old, older adults, um, most of them who are um, military families who've lost their children. So it's a special housing we have for them here in Long Beach. And the students were just doing this because they needed their internship hours, not because they were particularly interested in working on aging. And I asked them, so what were your views before um, doing working with this community? Older people can't learn. Older people are difficult, are unpleasant. And, and I said, and then I said, what did you get out of this experience? Is like, I actually really enjoyed it. I learned so much from them. They were so energetic. They had, uh, they were so much fun. And several of them actually uh, said, I think I'm going to try to take more classes on aging and think and shift my career focus. I think most, most uh, students in health science say, I want to work with children. So they kind of, this experience gave them um, this um, different perspective of what it is, how rewarding it is to work with older adults. And I uh, was very pleased to see how many of them want to work with older adults now. Um, so I think we need to push ourselves to get to know older adults. We also live in a time where, um, because there's so much mobility in our country, um, often we don't live, uh, we don't have contact across generations, right? So I think there was a time where um, we might have grown up with our grandparents or older people, uh, but now that's not the case. You know, we, especially uh, if you have some um, mobility and that uh, perpetuates ages views because one thing we know about prejudice is that we're often prejudiced against people we don't have contact with. Sure. And, and, and I think it's very interesting because, you know, despite all these products and things that people are trying to sell us to keep us from aging, did, did I read where the, the, um, the age, what am I trying to say, Jake, that uh, life expectancy, that's what I'm looking for. Life expectancy in America has actually decreased over the over the past few years could you comment on that yes apparently it has slightly <laughs> yeah it I, I i saw that too um because ultimately there is no magic pill um so if, something i took away from my biology exactly. of, my biology of aging course is that if you try to tweak too much with with you know trying to extend longevity something else goes wrong <laughs> um that's something i remember from my biology of aging class um and there are just so many factors that influence um, how we age. Um, and it's not the special cream or the pill or the supplement. It has to do with good quality health care throughout our lives, mm. um, nutrition, access to healthy foods, um, 
exercise, sort of moving our bodies. I'm not talking about extreme exercise. We don't have to be marathon runners. Um, it's just sort of moving our bodies, which we do less and less. Um, it has to do, surprisingly, in a certain area that I'm very interested with maintaining healthy social relations with social networks and being embedded in our communities. Um, those are the things that have been shown. Um, if you look at, um, there's uh, studies of blue zones where people age um, um, sort of more than in other parts. And those are the factors. It's the healthy lifestyle in terms of nutrition and moving our bodies and being embedded in our communities and our social networks. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw, I saw a segment on uh, on the, I think it was a CNN segment that somebody sent me a couple of years ago that's talked about these blue zones. And it, it was just exactly what you said, moving with a purpose, eating maybe primarily a plant-based based diet, being being a part of a faith community, having a, a, a close circle of friends that you that you hang out with. Uh, and it, it's not necessarily the, the Mediterranean diet or the or the red wine, although that that's part, you know, some of that's part of it. But and these are blue zones that are all over the world. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like they're in one one distinct area. Yeah. And the studies of um, the role. So I used to uh, for years, I was reading a gerontologist who focused on religion um, and sort of. And but then what he found through after many years. So, I mean, not worrying because you have faith helps. <laughs> Um, but it's also the social networks that being part of a religious community provides you is yeah. what he, in the end he found um, was helping people age well. So earlier you, you were talking about how our healthcare systems are particularly geared towards uh, pediatrics. You know, we have a large specialty with pediatricians um, and yeah. Lots and lots of outpatient pediatric clinics, but we don't have it on the opposite spectrum as much. I mean, we do have geriatrics as a specialty, but it is very small, maybe growing, um, but very. I know a lot more pediatricians than I know. Uh, uh, I'm sure. Pediatricians, yeah, <laughs> and and so you know that's one aspect of how I guess our health system is it supports you know, one end of the spectrum more so than than the aging population. Um, but can you comment just on any other ways that you've seen how we you know, maybe don't invest enough in support for our aging population as a healthcare system? Okay. So just to make a point that it's very interesting in terms of um, training of geriatricians about last I looked, half of geriatric fellowships go unfilled. So the opportunities are there, but um, we don't do geriatric rotations in, in in most schools, most medical schools. Last I looked, I think I, I published something on this in 2009 or so. Um, there are very few um, geriatric schools with geriatric rotations, so we don't expose. And then when we expose um, students, it's always in a nursing home. A geriatric rotation does not need to be in a nursing home because in reality, less than 5% of the older adult population is in a nursing home. And so um, that's not representative of the aging experience. Um, so I think it, it goes back to the lack of training and, the, and that role of our uh, obsession with not aging and how that pervades our um, 
our healthcare system as well, and also in terms of not recognizing it. So it affects like what recognizing what is normal in aging and what is not. So when I was at Florida International University, we worked with a system there and a lot of the training we were doing was recognizing depression in older adults. Depression is not a natural part of aging. Oftentimes it goes undiagnosed and untreated because the assumption is that, of course, you're sad or depressed, you're old. <laughs> but that's not a natural part of aging. Um, so our own biases play into what we recognize um, as normal versus abnormal um, in an older adult population. And without the proper education um, in our undergraduate medical education and residency programs, we continue to uh, perpetuate the problem of not properly caring for older adults. Um, we have a lot of polypharmacy. Um, one of the beauties of a geriatric specialty is that they are trained to address polypharmacy and sort of look at the optimal number of medications and how they interact and are, or how they should not interact, right? So um, years ago, I saw that the average number of medications that a person over 65 is on is 11. 11 medications for one person. That's a lot of medications to manage. And if you're going to your cardiologist and you're going to your endocrinologist and your general practitioner and everyone is prescribing something different, are they looking at how what they're prescribing impacts what the other person is prescribing? Some doctors do it, some don't. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, th those are some things off the top of my head that is how we're, we're failing, right? We're failing to educate our providers and, um, it's not only physicians, um, in nursing school. So we have here at Cal State Long Beach, nursing, physical therapy, um, speech therapy, uh, dietetics. I believe that all fields should require, um, experience in working with older adults. And a positive experience in working with older adults, not just in nursing homes. Yes, uh, that stat that you shared about the 5% of older adults in, in nursing homes, I mean, that that was pretty amazing to me because I, I would have assumed it was much higher. And, and that is yeah. definitely the, the case for me that I my only experience in medical school was going to a nursing home as, as far as my geriatrics experience. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about let's talk about how different cultures uh, approach caring for the elderly because it seems like you know in um, Latino countries and, and in Asia the family takes on the primary responsibility of, of taking care of the um, of the the older parents and and you know they may build an extra room onto their house or they have a place where the the parents can move into you know I'm I'm just I say this kind of tongue in cheek, but I, I threatened my children. I said, don't put me in a nursing home, whatever you do. But it seems like here, here in the United States, we tend to do that maybe more frequently or or, or, or quicker to do that than in other countries. Yeah. What, what have been your findings on that? Yeah, so certainly, and, and this is changing. So this this tradition, that's the traditional perspective. I think more and more of the research that's coming out of Asia is that they're facing a crisis. 
One, because they have low fertility rates, so they have less children, not so much the extended family to take care of older adults. So China is having um, this issue, um, especially because of their one-child policy. But also uh, Japan, uh, Korea, they all have um, low fertility rates, meaning people have maybe one kid. (laughs) Mm. And so that one person is responsible for taking care of at least two older adults. Um, And so those values of uh, familism, as the literature calls it, are sort of breaking down. People still profess them because, yes, that's what you want to do. That's what you were raised to do. But are you really able to do it? Practically not, especially among immigrants. Um, So my research is actually on caregiving in the Latino community uh, for persons with uh, Alzheimer's and related dementias. And what I found in interviewing caregivers is that it often falls on one person. And that one person does, usually a woman, um, and they'll, they do everything in their power to take care of, of their spouse, their mom or dad, but often at their own expense of their health. And that's another finding that caregivers, um, not only is there burnout, but there's also... Um, higher um, mortality among caregivers because they start having chronic um, conditions and they don't go to the doctor because they're taking care of this one person. So there is a huge literature on familism, but um, in the U.S., especially among Latinos and a filial piety among Asians. Um, But what we're finding is that um, the values are there, but the family support is not there. Um, usually falls on one person. And and eventually, so the reason I got into this research, because I used to work with, um, I was a chair of the board of the Area Agency on Aging, uh, where the government services are channeled through um, in South Florida. And we found people calling all the time in crisis. Like they try, they try, try it. And then last minute is like, I can't do this anymore. Um, I need to find a placement for for my my mom or my dad or my husband. Um there are differences in expectations of care, however, and that's um, and and in what stresses people out about care. So something that struck me from a study I read many years ago is that among um, people of color, Latinos, African Americans, Asians, what what um, they suffer in caregiving is this idea that they're not doing well enough that they're not providing enough emotional support, that they're not caring well enough. Um, and then in white populations, what the burden that was expressed was one of financial burden. Um, that's what this one study I read um, a long time ago found. So they experienced the burden of caregiving differently. What? Um, but then in other things like Latinos, you can't, they won't acknowledge a burden. They'll talk about suffering, they'll talk about sacrifice, but never burdened because it's um, it would be wrong to say that you're burdened by your family member. Other differences in care, so what I found from my research is that um, expectations of care. So when you do accept support, so one of the challenges that we had was getting people, they called in in a crisis and like, okay, we can send, um, you qualify, you can get someone to come to your home to give you res- respite or to help you with bathing, um, these other cultural notions of respect, of what is good care, came into play. So, like with some some 
women who are taking care of their husband is like it wouldn't be respectful of my husband if someone else bathed them because I want to respect their privacy or um one lady who is like taking care and of of her mother and actually she worked in this arena of services for older adults and she was still taking care of her mother herself even though she could afford care because they wouldn't know what she likes how to like what creams she likes um, to put on her body after bathing what how she likes her head placed on the pillow those little details of caring for someone unless we create a system where people are um, trained to be attentive to individualized needs and preferences um, and that the they can communicate that with the family people will resist care um, if you have if you're paying private pay sure you can hire people to do exactly what you want them to do but um the people i was working with and this was through government services so you get who you want you you get who you get right and the other area where we're really failing is that we don't pay our in-home support staff SN cnas um enough hmm. they're very underpaid and they're overworked. This is not easy work, right? And we as a society have not put enough value in these people who are caring for us as we age. So this may be a good place. I, I know we only have a few minutes left, but I would like to discuss where we go from here, Where, what direction we need to go in as a society to support more healthy aging, support the family members that are taking care of an aging population uh, so that, you know, I think most people would like to uh, age at their home with their family members for as long as they can uh, without, you know, what HF was saying, going to a nursing home seemed to be <laughs> low on his bucket list. So how can we <laughs> as a society move in that direction to support, um, support these models more effectively? Yeah. Um, we need to sort of recognize our ageist views um, and address them and call them out and highlight. Um, so we, we do this. We, we need to highlight the, the positive aspects of aging and that the diversity of aging. Not everyone is going. The other thing is that we always have shiny, smiley, very healthy and thin uh, people in our advertisement. That's not what the most of us will look like when we grow older. So let's represent what aging really looks like in its diversity and its in its range of abilities. Um, and um, and talk more about the value of growing old. What do older adults bring to community? Uh, what do we learn? We've, we have forgotten about the wisdom and our and history and all learning from the experiences of older and valuing the experience of older adults. Um, we need to start educating our healthcare providers and everyone, I think, really early on um, and giving them positive experiences with older adults. And we need to be willing to invest in um, the infrastructure for care, um, including paying uh, the people who are rolling up their sleeves and coming into our homes, um, like the CNAs, um, paying them a more reasonable wage. Well, Dr. Martinez, uh, this has been a really good discussion, and we sure, certainly appreciate your uh, 
your knowledge and your insight. And on the on behalf of uh, Baptist Memorial Healthcare, we just want to thank you very much for being here. And and hopefully we can have you back on again. This All is right. your second time. Yes, it is. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you.